0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for my podcast, Great New American Essays. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's spotlight is on the literary magazine, Fourth Genre. I'm joined by the magazine's co-editors-in-chief, Patrick Maiden and Joey Franklin. Patrick has a PhD from Ohio University, and his most recent book is the essay collection, Disparates, Nebraska 2020, Joey has a PhD from Texas Tech University, and his most recent book is The Writer's Hustle, Bloomsbury 2022. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks a lot for having us. By all means. So tell me a bit about the magazine. Obviously, there are some other magazines out there in the land. Uh, What would you say distinguishes yours from other comparable literary magazines?
1: I can start a little bit. So Forshawna is a journal that's 26 years old, So just the end of last century began at Michigan State University. Michael Steinberg, Robert Root, and David Cooper were among those who began the journal with a few other colleagues who had um, other roles at the journal. And they wanted to make, I I think, nonfiction as a literary genre was burgeoning then. I think it remains so today. There was creative nonfiction a little bit ahead of that, and River Teeth coming out of the gates at about the same time. And then there have since been some other nonfiction-only journals. The idea behind the fourth genre was to, I think, maybe self-deprecatingly assign essay memoir in an umbrella term a kind of... Uh, well, fourth status after drama, poetry, and fiction, but also to elevate it. So it's a kind of recognition that chronologically and maybe uh, in importance, we come in after these others that are longer and better established, but we're also important. And one of the things that struck me off the bat, so uh, I studied with a writer named John Benyon, and he'd gone to the AWP conference and came back with volume one issue one of fourth genre and gave it to me and told me here's a non only journal that you should try to publish in and i read it cover to cover and it struck me that it wasn't just essays and memoirs it wasn't just the kind of primary creative work it also included interviews and book reviews and roundtable discussions about the genre and so it seemed to me like it balanced the creative and the critical and so we've tried to maintain that today it's not that other journalists don't do this, but that's been like a long time mission of 4Genre that we're upholding. And we've even expanded a little bit too. joey always been like spearheading a lot of that. So maybe I can talk about the website expansions. Sure. Yeah.
2: I, I was going to say the thing that really stands out for me about 4Genre is it's committed to um, not just publishing personal essays, but also being fully engaged in the conversation from uh, interviews, book reviews, and craft essays. Um, and... Recently we've expanded the craft essay discussion online. Um, I think we've got I can't I'd have to look a half a dozen or so um craft essays on everything from graphic memoir to uh sort of nitty-gritty sentence level craft discussions about uh writing essays. And I think that's a really valuable contribution to uh the force the the personal essay discussion. Um and I'm it's, it's, it's great to be able to participate in that and, and help
0: grow that portion of the,
2: the conversation.
0: Sure. Well, I, I've always loved the forum, and I was lucky enough to get to know Robert Atwan, the longtime editor of Best American Essays, not long after uh, he started doing his own small part to uh, foreground the, the, the genre, which I was grateful for. Um, one of the things in your um, kind of online summary, thumbnail sketch of the magazine, you you mentioned looking for notable innovative work. I think we can all agree on what's notable, uh, but innovative, uh, how would you cast that? What what does innovative mean for the two of you?
2: I think to me, innovative um, in every, it could be innovative in terms of subject matter. It could be innovative in terms of form, in terms of point of view, uh, in terms of the way it mixes subgenres of the personal essay. Um, well, I mean, ultimately, like any magazine, we're looking for great writing, but we're always delighted to see somebody Surprise us, right? To or some when a, when an essay makes us do a double take and say, "What? What are they doing? How did do they do that?" <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Um, we do have
1: a go ahead. Was it? We have a multimedia essay contest each year, and this is not say our forte, at least not yet. But um, we've done some video essays and uh, choose your own adventure essay. So I'm really keen to find essays that use different forms. What we'd often call a hermit crab essay. We've done some, those have usually appeared on our website, but we've had some in our print journal as well. Essays that appear to be like police blotter report style things, but the story comes about between the lines for things that you you get a lot of insight into the backstory from the the front matter. And um, I suppose there could be a lot of gimmickry in that, but we look for work that uses a form that makes sense for the subject matter. Sure. And that instructs a reader within the text. The text itself instructs a reader how to read it.
0: Okay, yeah. So it feels organic. It's not a flashy gimmick, simply. Right. So I, I have to ask, since I have both of you on the line, when I think about essays, I sometimes break them down into maybe three simplistic components. I've got the, the form and the stylistic elements. I've got subject matter, and I've got, maybe I'll call it voice and values, the, the sense of the 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 author and how they impose themselves and form own the essay. So are there times where the two of you have some pretty diametrically different takes on an essay? And and how do you uh as a pairing work those things out and, and are there certain proclivities you think one of you will confess to that the other doesn't share, perhaps?
2: Uh, let's I think that if there's any I'm not sure it's a difference, but um I I tend to want to make more room maybe for for things that feel more like memoir and pat is an is a a stalwart montanian um and and i i i'll come across an essay and i can i can say to myself oh pat's gonna love this right <laughs> it's got on in the title right like on something you know um and, uh, there's not a there's not a story in it right it's just it's just rumination um and likewise and, if, and like i said i don't think it's that much of a difference but if there is a ying to pat's yang then it's memoir and, and we sort of balance out the um the, in our conversation editorial conversations about um trying to include both story-driven essays but also and we i think we both love idea-driven essays even what even if it is a story-driven essay we need we need the ideas right an essay uh without ideas is not an essay
1: Where- About about that so uh I taught Joey some years ago, almost two decades ago, and so some of the ideas that I have come to hold, sacred, I've imparted, and Joey's taken them and run with them, for sure, but there's a lot of influence, and like I said, I studied with a writer named John Benya, but I also studied with David Lazar. Both of those two writers studied under Philip Lopate at University of Houston. And so we're kind of in that little patient school of thinking about the essay as primarily idea-driven. Um, but one thing, Joy and I will often, we do not want for genre to only reflect our own aesthetics. Sure. And so I think we do have a broad enough conception of creative nonfiction as a thing that is not only essay or not only personal essay. And so we'll often have a conversation about a piece that we think our readers will love. And we we, we have room for those pieces, too, though. Sure. You know, we things. don't want to make it just the Pat and Joey show.
0: <laughs> well, um, I guess I'd first say that maybe we'll all meet outside of Bordeaux at Montaigne's uh, tower that's still remaining from his writing days uh, at some way yeah. juncture. In the meantime, um, the rest is history. Peggy Shiner. So this is an uh, award-winning piece that in your magazine. Um, just to help out listeners a bit, it's, uh, I guess you could summarize it as the conflation of female sexuality and nuclear testing and destruction particularly regarding World War II and Bikini Atoll in the South Pacific. Um, right. What struck you about the essay? Uh, it won the award after all. Um, details, voice, stylistics, wherever you want to take the question.
1: It might be important to note that um, this was our contest winner, so even though we read it and appreciated it, we didn't ultimately decide that it was the winner. Okay. So our, our contest judge for this year was, who was that, Joey? Uh, was it Mary Capello? I think it was Mary Capello. <clears throat> that's, how I, that's how I was re- remembering as well. And um, so we can say, certainly say a lot about it, but also Mary would be the one who has made the ultimate decision that this was the best of the essays that were submitted for that contest. Um, one of the things that I deeply love about it is that um, there's a personal voice in it for sure and there are narrative personal elements. there's a kind of autobiography underlying it in that our narrator appears as a character. but she does not appear as a character in all the passages, all the sections of it all that
0: yeah uh, yet or whatever yeah
1: right there's a heavy research element to it and the research isn't just kind of bland Wikipedia style, You know this happened and this happened and the u.s military moved the inhabitants away from bikini atoll and uh performed i think how many was it 50 some nuclear tests which uh against all promises did in fact contaminate land and ocean in a in a wide radius and affect even the former inhabitants of the atoll or it's not just about um the narrator's own experience wearing a bikini, but the song, it's a bit too teeny weenie yellow polka dot bikini. Sure. The genesis of that song, the repercussions of that song, like the culture of objectifying women and, and so forth. So I, I thought that it it gets me the sense, of, of course, it's like a finite piece of writing and it doesn't cover everything, but it, it generates the sense that it's giving this, Pretty wide overview and finding connections that I hadn't perceived before.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, long, long swath of American cultural history from the the, the, the single to um, you know a whole host of things. What one phrase that got my attention was the original bikini described it as so small to be pulled through a wedding ring. I thought that was right. a great instance of the author's voice that that sense of detail. Yeah, exactly. Joey, anything you wanted to jump in on?
2: Yeah, I think this is such a great example of the the way that an essay can explore an individual's personal experience while also turning outward and drawing connections between larger c- cultural history and their own lives. And to me, the, the pleasure is in all the unexpected connections that emerge as you read, right? The things that, that I learned about the history of the Bissini, about the B- about the island group, about um. The, so the very specific way of that language was shaped around both the atomic bomb and around women um and the way that women were talked about and the parallels drawn between um you know like like the the paragraph about the bombshell where he just goes on and on and on about the or she uh, she goes on and on about uh the way that, that term was used yeah um placing that in an essay about the history of the atomic bomb um I think it encourages a reader to think about, Uh, both the objectification of women and um, the atomic age of war in ways that are richer and more complex and more complicated than if you were just thinking about the history of the bikini as a swimsuit and the history of the atomic bomb as a weapon. Um, Bringing them together sheds light on both histories that you wouldn't get otherwise.
0: Sure, and our sometimes overly casual use of language and what (laughs) is actually there to be unpacked and understood Uh, much more fully. So at the risk of seeming like this is a sex-obsessed episode, um, I'm going to go to an essay called Nipple Day by Kavi Harbin. And I did it in part because this pulls the ogling and the lyric that goes on implicitly in the essay we just discussed and makes it very close to home. We're talking about her own dad and one of his very best friends, after all. In that essay, there's something I don't remember ever seeing. I've read, like you, a lot of essays uh, where she actually offers up uh, fairly extensive notes on an earlier draft of the essay that's plugged right into it. Um, what did you make of that? How does that inform and enrich the the essay? Might you say, if you if you recall it? I realize it's a, a bit ago, since you might have read it in the specifics, but just just that maneuver of, of pulling in uh, a, an earlier draft. I, I just don't remember seeing that from somebody other than maybe a line in passing, like I said this, and I revised it to that. I've never seen a whole uh, extended passage.
2: Yeah, I mean, the earlier draft and the journal entry that she- Yeah, that that was actually, yes. um, I mean, exploring um, being accosted by a man on the street and how she feels about it now and being so certain about that memory, and then going back to the source or, you know, the diary, the journal that she kept at the moment and having to wrestle with the difference between how she felt now about things versus how she recorded it in the moment. To me, uh, it presents such a rich exploration of of the emotional landscape of relationships, of of dealing with the tension, unwanted and otherwise. Um, yeah, I, I think she, the, the, the author, really handles that material in a sophisticated way. I really enjoyed it.
1: Okay. And Patrick, anything you wanted to say? Yeah, I would say um, so. What you point out, Dan, is very much the like the thing that I'm always eager to perceive within an essay, and sometimes it's explicit like it is here. Like this happens on the second page, from the outset then I feel torn about writing this essay. Yeah. So there's like a very clear anchor into like Writer in Chair as the outermost or maybe dominant frame of the essay. We get back into scenes from the past that are vivid and somewhat disturbing. But um, the place that I land maybe most enthusiastically is, is right there in the places where the author calls attention to the fact that this is not quite the thing that happened. It's the recording of the thing that happened. And the the, the additional layer that Joe points out is that it's not the only recording of the thing that happened and the various recordings are in contradiction with each other. So, I mean, there is a, there's plenty to uh, rightly criticize about sexism and harassment and assault, right? And an essay can do that, and this essay does that, but it also does a kind of self-reflection that I find more interesting, or I find that it enhances uh, the criticisms that the essay can levy against others, right? And I, I think generally speaking, the essays that I like most are the ones that are self-critical, which isn't to say that Mr. K, the um, father's friend who assaulted the narrator, is without blame. He certainly is, but the fact that the author, you know, has to come to grips with the past self who seems to have felt quite differently about this assault, and or at least that played a role in the way she recorded it. That, I think, is the richest part of the essay.
0: Yeah, no, I th- I thought myself thinking of uh, Rodin's The Thinker, but it's not The Thinker here, it's the struggling writer, the refracting writer, the feeling writer, the writer who had this feeling, and now this feeling, and this version, and that version of events, and that's what uh, was no small part of what, what pulled me in. When I go to one more essay, we're gonna, we're gonna leave sex behind and go to gardens instead. Uh, In part because my wife is an avid gardener, Uh, maybe in part because when I studied at Oxford, I discovered that there had been this seminal gardener named Capability Brown at Oxford. I just thought that was the most fabulous name for anybody, but certainly for a a gardener. Um, And we both know that, uh, or we all know that Henry David Thoreau in writing Walden was uh, prompted in part to plant beans because he had a neighbor who disparaged him as a guy who didn't know beans about anything. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's rich subject matter. Um, what about that one pulled you in? And I'm thinking in part that you've got on the one hand, the gardening and the beauty you're creating, and also she had the decomposition, ultimately literally of, of her parents, their death. So you've got a real contrast going. Um, any insights, comments on that essay?
2: I, I think I would say that one of the things I admire about a piece like this, is its ability to tell the narrative, right? I'm going to tell you about my relationship with my parents, its complexity, its difficulty, the things that were hard, things that were um, that I miss about them, um, but I'm gonna do it through this other uh, lens. I think about, is it Annie Dillard who said, when you're writing a memoir, you have to take great pains to not hang on the arm of the reader like a drunk and say, <laughs> this did happen. And it was so interesting. Right. Um, and what this author's done is couched the exploration of their family relationships in this larger conversation about gardening, which is rich with metaphor. And so what might otherwise seem like self-indulgent examination of personal family stories becomes a nod to the universal as she examines gardening and the family. And again, as with the Bikini A Toll uh essay bringing gardening and bringing the family story together uh, sheds light on both subjects in ways that an individual exploration of either wouldn't, wouldn't provide.
1: Okay. Yeah. I like that. Yep. And and the thing about that too is um, the other two essays we talked about had at their core, uh, what I would call some extraordinary circumstances or events and which is exactly appropriate to those particular essays, but I'm, always keen to find the essays where there's no real plot going on where nothing dramatic happens and i, I guess in this case for parents do die but the, the way that's presented is the natural course of events yes. it's, it's yeah. not it's not overly it's not correct, sensationalized yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and so this essay to me just the you talked about form subject and voice the voice is very calm very peaceful and meditative and that's a voice I really love to read, and I mean, maybe gardening would automatically suggest or call forth that voice, because gardening is an activity with—I mean, I, I suppose everything has its dramas, right? But uh, in in my conception, gardening is rather peaceful. In fact, we garden in order to find that kind of peace amidst all the, you know, hullabaloo of life. I, that, that's
0: what my wife would say. I, I once joked when we were first dating I said, "If I'm a flower you'll take my call right Um, because it's much more peaceful than uh dealing with human beings sometimes exactly
2: i'm surprised to hear you say that there's not a plot in this essay because it's literally about garden plots you just (laughs) you
1: you just walked right through that pond um, without even noticing it i was so disappointed i I have to turn in my dad card because i missed that dad joke Uh. But thank you for rescuing that from uh, where we we just left it on the side of the road there, Joe. A
2: a well-placed pun that goes unnoticed is like a sunset unseen, my friend.
0: (laughs) Well, I I think we shall leave it at that. I was going to go on to some other essays, but um, I think we've had a good time and a great conversation and uh, you've enjoyed each other's company as much as I've enjoyed yours. So uh, that's great. Um, So just wrapping up for my listeners, this is Great New American Essays. The focus today has been on the magazine Fourth Genre. My guests have been its co-editors-in-chief. That's Patrick Maiden and Joey Franklin. Thank you both so much.
2: Thank you very much. And uh, just a plug for the contest. We have two contests going on right now, um, ending March 15th, our Michael Steinberg Memorial Essay Prize and our Multimedia Essay Prize. You can find out more information at fourthgenre.org.
0: Thanks, Dan. Uh Fair enough. i yeah. like you're running. For Sounds like you're running for president. Okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, my vote, Joe.
0: Okay. Great. Thank Thanks. you so much, both of you. And I'll send the link when the time comes.
1: Okay. Thanks, Dan.
0: Thanks. Good, Dan. Okay. Bye, bye.